Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message. Um, you know, we've been um, work, working in near Christian colleges um, most of our lives or and pastoring. We have seen many people who have believed in Christianity, yet once they go off on their own, maybe they meet um, some new people that have different faiths or philosophies, they start to question if Christianity is really true. And um, they begin to face questions that they've never had to face before. And when you talk with them, um, there's often this underlying anger, maybe a resentment toward those who view um, Christians as believing so narrowly. Um, They may be mad at some of their family and friends who vote a certain way. They may be mad at what they see church members post on Facebook. And and they may say that they're meeting all these really smart people who they find are even nicer than some of their Christian friends are. I mean, sometimes if you listen long enough, that anger softens and there's a sadness. There's a questioning, like, I, I don't know if I'm a Christian anymore, and I want to be, but I have a really hard time believing. Does this sound familiar to any of you? Uh, maybe your kids or a friend? Yeah, so we're wrapping up our Fractured Church series today with kind of a last challenge to the church. How do we deal with doubts? The quest is for followers of Jesus and And people who are not followers of Jesus. We want to create a place where you can belong before you believe. And that means you may be sitting today or or, or sitting at home with someone who has been a follower of Jesus for a long time. Or or you may be with someone who's listening or here with you today uh, who is just here because they love you and they want to make you happy. Or, Or you may be sitting next to someone who's trying to figure out their faith and and maybe they have tons of concerns and tons of doubts and questions. See, one of the things that all of these groups have in common is doubt. It can come from different places if you are still trying to figure out who Jesus is compared to somebody who already declares themselves of a follower of Jesus, but we still all have doubts. There are questions about the resurrection that we sometimes struggle with. We struggle with questions like, if God is loving, how can he let so much suffering still happen? Uh, Having doubts for us, I think, can be really unnerving, can it? And even scary at times. Leading us to try to hide the doubts and not talk about it. We may think, if I just ignore my doubts, they'll go away. So the questions that we're trying to wrestle with today are, what do you think about doubts? Are they, opposite, are they the opposite of faith? And, and maybe most important, how does Jesus respond to those who doubt? So we all probably know, if you've been around the church for a while, the best-known doubter in Scripture is called Doubting Thomas, right? When Jesus was killed on the cross, Thomas, Jesus' disciple, was devastated. And for some reason, after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, all the disciples got to see Jesus in person except for Thomas. And John 20 shows us Thomas' reactions. He says, But Thomas said to them, Unless I seal seal nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And a week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them this time. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. 
And when Thomas sees Jesus' wounds, what does he do? He says, my Lord and my God. It's interesting, almost every Bible commentator says that Thomas gives the most direct and highest confession of the faith of any other person in the gospel. All the other disciples had made attempts, but it's the greatest doubter who gives the clearest expression of belief in who Jesus is. So we see Thomas, he goes through three stages that reflect um, maybe many, if not most, of our spiritual journeys. Stage one would be like construction. You know, this is when um, we are first started, we're building our faith. You know, we learn the basics of Christianity. Thomas's faith was constructed by spending three years with Jesus, watching him do all kinds of miracles. I mean, imagine seeing what it was like to feed 5,000 with just two fish and a few loaves, or seeing the dead raised to life. I mean, yet after Jesus died, Thomas doubted whether Jesus really was who he said he was. And that which led to stage two, which is what we call doubt, which can lead to deconstruction. So just to clarify, doubt is when we have a hard time believing something that we have already embraced as a truth. Um, Like such, you know, like, is God trustworthy? Deconstruction is a little different in that it's an intentional dismantling of certain things that we believe. Now that can be good or bad deconstruction. Because just like when you remodel, you tear down cabinets, right? You bust open some walls. We intentionally are dismantling things that we previously held onto. And when we don't deal with our doubts, it can lead to a deconstruction of our faith in a really bad way. Because often when doubts come, we are either really condemning of ourselves, like, gosh, I must be a horrible Christian for thinking this, or I shouldn't ask questions, I should just believe. Or, um, like we mentioned above, maybe we just get paralyzed by our doubts and we say, oh, I just won't talk about them. Um, Because, you know, there's nothing I can do about them anyway, so hopefully maybe if I just sing enough worship songs, um, they'll disappear, right? The Bible does not encourage either one of those approaches to doubts. So how did Jesus respond to Thomas and his doubts? Did he say, like, hey, seriously, Thomas, you're questioning me? You know, that's terrible. Like, what kind of a follower are you? No, what does Jesus do? He invites Thomas and he invites us to explore our doubts with him. He says, come, see these nail prints in my hands, touch the wound in my side. And then, after that, Jesus says, stop doubting and believe. Because if we tell people, okay, these are the truths about Christianity, now just believe them, no questions allowed, that isn't faith. Um, And we're setting people up for failure because one of the ways that we grow is to seek God in our doubts. Now, looking at doubts led Thomas to the third stage, which we call reconstruction. You know, it's not that Thomas came to a new faith, but he came to his old faith in a new way. And Jesus, Jesus spent an entire week not showing up to Thomas. You know, why is that? You know, maybe it's those, that waiting time and that searching time for truth that we have sometimes with our doubts that makes that truth go that much deeper. Maybe we have to become more okay with silence and let our questions help us go deeper with God. When Thomas finally sees Jesus, he worships him with his whole heart. Thomas becomes the greatest cross-cultural missionary of the, one of the greatest ones of the whole first century. He goes to India where there is still a community of Thomas Christians that they're called, that they're still following Jesus today. And it shows us that how we deal with our doubts can lead to incredible growth in our lives. Yeah. Let's look at another example. When John the Baptist was in prison, he doubted Jesus. So John was sitting in prison with his life at stake, 
for being faithful to God. I mean, John knew Scripture's promises of God bringing blessing to the lives of those who live uprightly, and yet John in prison felt cursed. He's doubting and wants to ask Jesus, are you really who I thought you were? Was what I did paving the way for you worth it? So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus in Matthew 11. It says, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And then a few verses later, Jesus says to his own fathers, followers, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Isn't that interesting? John the Baptist doubts, yet Jesus calls him the greatest ever. His doubt did not discredit his faith or his worth. However, when the Pharisees doubted, Jesus like the time when Jesus healed a blind, unmute man who was demon-possessed, they actually expressed their doubt by saying, Jesus could only have done this by driving out demons by, who were empowered by the prince of demons. See, Jesus' response to the Pharisees was, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or the age to come. It's kind of a scary verse, isn't it? Both parties express doubt. But John the Baptist gets an A-plus from Jesus, whereas the Pharisees get an F. I think the difference between them seems to be in their posture. Are they leaning in or leaning away from God? When we lean in, doubt actually fuels faith. I like what Frederick Buechner wrote. He wrote, doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving. See, faith is believing in something you can't for sure prove. Doubt can be helpful in building faith because it keeps us seeking and exploring our faith, exercising our faith in ways to see if it holds up. We see the cycle in the development of faith through the Bible of all the great heroes of the faith. We see construction, deconstruction, and reconstruction. They, they went through times of learning about God, and then they went through times of being confused and disillusioned. And then they come to worship God in ways they never imagined. So what has your journey been like with God? I've struggled more with doubt than Ross. And I don't know if it's because of my personality and I can be a little bit more skeptical. Um, And I admire people who don't doubt. But I'm starting to realize that um, to not judge myself as much for my doubts, but rather focus more on what is my posture when I do doubt. Um, Am I leaning into God through the questions and the sometimes disillusionment, or am I leaning away from God? I've had two major seasons of doubt that led to deconstruction in my faith. Um, I grew up in the church, and I am grateful for the strong value that they put on the Bible, as well as a, a strong need to repent of my sins. I went to a great Christian college where I gained an awareness of the bigness of God, and I saw miracles happen. And yet, because all of us, we learn the truth about the gospel um, through imperfect people, um, some of what was handed down was not good, right? Um, For me, I was left dealing with a lot of legalism, believing like I had to earn my salvation. I had to do all these right things in order for God to really love me. I had to sort out how my church gave me a very low view of women. 
Um, I spent years um, in the Word of Faith movement, um, which had strengths, but its theology left me questioning and disillusioned um, when I faced a lot more complex situations. So I was primed for a deepening work around disappointments surrounding God, the church, and myself. And the first deconstruction happened um, right after I graduated from undergrad, um, and I spent five years working in an adolescent psychiatric unit. Um, there were a few co-workers there who were Christians, but most people had no faith. They viewed Christianity as a crutch, like a ruse that we created to deal with life's anxieties. Um, some viewed that Christianity and the church were perpetrators of abuse. Um, and so in this time I was working with teens, they had gone through horrific physical and sexual abuse, neglect, often they were suicidal or they were aggressive to the point of being homicidal. So for some it was either come to this facility or go to jail. And so working day in and day out, seeing so much suffering in an antagonistic Christian environment, my faith was challenged. You know, like I was thinking, like, where was God for these patients, you know? How could he have allowed this kind of pain? And there was just no simple or easy fixes for any of their situations. And so um, there are many things I am thankful for Ross, um, but one of the main things is, is that I could talk to him about my fears and doubts. You know, like, is there really a God? Um, and if so, is it really Jesus? I mean, Ross was working on finishing his seminary degree, and he wanted to be a pastor, and his wife is saying, like, I, I don't think I believe anymore. Um, I want to, but I don't know. Um, you know, because maybe there's more than one way to God. And I didn't want these thoughts. I longed for a relationship with God, but I was struggling. You know, I've shared this part before, that during this dismantling time, I was um, in a 12-step meeting with several of my patients. And I was really ticked off because um, I was helping in their process with step two, which is where they get to come to believe in a power greater than themselves, right? So they get to choose their higher power. And some of the patients described their power as this most loving and accepting force that was with them no matter what, even if they messed up. And, and I was starting to fume. Like, I was so angry because they got to choose, and I was stuck with the Christian God, right? A God who, was, who I felt was demanding and left me feeling like I could never measure up. And a God who left kids neglected and abandoned because he either just wasn't that powerful or he didn't care. And so now I knew correct theology, but I didn't know it, right? So all of this struggle took place in my head, and I'm sitting in this basement in this 12-step meeting when suddenly, like, these blinders were taken off my heart. Like, I was hit with an understanding that if anyone should have the most loving and incredible God, it should be we as Christians. And then I saw God more clearly, and it was like this deep awareness that he is good, you can't, I can't put my words on it. It was deeper than, like, you know, correct theology. I mean, it is correct theology, but it got there. You know, I didn't have my questions about suffering answered, but somehow the Holy Spirit just helped me know the truth of God's goodness. I mean, it felt a little bit like the Grinch when he said, you know, like, my heart grew three sizes that day. That's what it was, that correct theology just going deeper into my heart. I'm so grateful for us again. Um, he just let me talk. I still kept going to church. I still kept reading my Bible. That posture was still leaning in, um, even though I was unsure. Um, and that was God's grace. Gosh, he just helped keep me tied to him. And then I don't know if it was that I was living in um, the culture that we had when we were living in Oregon for 11 years or when I, because I was turning 40. 
during that season um, and went through those little midlife transitions that are so fun. Um, but I, I went through another season of deconstruction in my faith journey, but most of my struggles and disillusionment were more focused around the church. I saw too many political power plays, I saw arrogance, I saw a lack of fruit in the church, and I just pretty much said I was done. And I know that sounds totally arrogant and judgmental, uh, but it's just where I was at. And while I was processing my disillusionment, I was reading this book on deconstruction and your faith, and that book just got me even more angry. I remember reading it, and I just threw it across the room, and I was just like, ah, uh, because it talked about dismantling your faith. Uh, but it didn't have give you anything on how to rebuild it. You know, it angered me because I ached so much for God, but I didn't know, and I didn't know what I was going to do without Him, and I didn't know what I was going to do without the church. And yet again, it was Ross and another incredible friend that kept praying with me, and they seemed to know that when you doubt, you're trying to find out what you really believe. Doubt is actually the sign that there is something deep inside of you that wants truth. So now, I don't know, maybe you guys are thinking that I'm crazy um, or that I'm really not competent to um, be up here to talk with you, but I would say I am so incredibly grateful for those experiences. I mean, it strengthened my faith and love for Jesus. It it has given me a ton of compassion for those that are struggling with their faith. Uh, I agree with Tim Keller, who has pastored for years in, in Manhattan. He said, I think if I had never gone through the doubting in college, I think I probably would never have met Christ. Yeah. My journey looked a little different than Wendy's, but I agree. There are doubts that destroy our relationship with God, and there are doubts that can propel you into a deeper relationship. This is especially important uh, to know if you grew up in a Christian environment. You have to go through this place where the parents, your parents and your church's faith becomes your own faith. And that process usually means you're going to go through the valley of doubts. I mean, we know that the U.S. now is considered post-Christian. We've talked about the last few weeks how in 2020, according to Gallup survey, one-third of regular churchgoers have left the church for good in a snapshot survey he did there. Some of them are likely, I think, in the midst of doubts and deconstruction. And they're out there with nobody to help them walk through it. How do we want to be there for them? Jude, Jesus' brother, said of doubts, he said, be merciful to those who doubt. And I wonder if, if, if Jude was sharing from his own experience as one of Jesus' earthly brothers who frankly didn't believe in him for his entire ministry period. It wasn't until after he was raised from the dead that he actually even believed in him. And just, I think he was going through doubts for so long. See, we want to extend mercy and care for those who doubt, including mercy to ourselves when we go through that phase. So let's look a little bit more closely than for the last few minutes when when doubt and deconstruction is good and when it's bad. If the goal of doubt and deconstruction is to know God and be known by Him, to be faithful to follow the ways of Jesus, then doubt leads us in a constructive way. But good deconstruction can really be difficult in our culture today, can it? Because our culture encourages unhealthy doubt. I think Dallas Willard catches this in our culture really well when he says, we live in a culture that has for centuries now cultivated the idea that the skeptical skeptical person is always smarter than the one who believes. And he goes on and says, you can almost be as stupid as a cabbage 
as long as you doubt, as long as you're skeptical and cynical. For some, it's almost like you've got to live in an angsty anger deconstruction in order to be really, really authentic and real. I've known people who have just stayed stuck for the last couple decades in deconstruction. But that actually goes against the tweet that I actually agree with. Deconstruction is like Vegas. It's a great place to visit, but you don't dare live there because it'll destroy you. See, maybe our culture deals more with doubts and deconstruction because we in Western culture have a higher control expectation than other cultures have around the world. In third world countries, they don't expect the same level of control, so when life lets them down, they're less likely than Westerners to shake their fist at God. Also, our culture values freedom. And that lends itself to believing we get to freely choose who God is. And we can get so focused on our individualistic expression that we shape God into whoever or whatever we want him to be. It's as Rousseau, the great philosopher, once said long ago, God created man in his own image. And man, being a gentleman, returned the favor. I hear this when someone says, like, I, I could only believe in a God that thinks about hell the way that I do or the way that believes in sexuality the way I do. I can only believe in a God who is loving in the way that I describe what loving is. Good deconstruction is when we lean in and dismantle beliefs that are not true and rebuild, reconstruct our faith with something that's more true. But deconstruction, bad deconstruction is when we reforge God into something um, that we want and that, that we want. I mean, and then it's like we're forgetting that there's 2,000 years of church history and 4,000 years of ancient Jewish history of people who have been asking these kind of questions about God for a long time. You know, and isn't it kind of arrogant to think that we will have a question or a doubt or that no one else has had or that we are smarter now um, in our doubts than those who had the same doubt? And we've now come through it with a stronger faith. Um, I speak from experience when we have to really watch this attitude like we're so much more evolved now than we and that we really know the truth. So to, let me ask you a question. When was the last time that you were wrong about God? You know, I, I sat with that question this week and I thought, well, you know, maybe I know it was in the deconstruction time. I knew. Um, but I also thought, well, this last year with all that we've gone through and the pain around race and all of that. I saw some ways that I needed to rethink about how I viewed God. So I asked Ross that same question, and he simply said, well, every day. And I'm like, seriously? And so anyway, I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, seriously. Every day we struggle to believe God is completely good, is completely capable of handling everything we face in the world. Because if we really believed that, we would always live at peace, never worry, Always walk in confidence. So every day, multiple times a day, sometimes all day long, we are wrong about God. As I've been listening to deconstruction stories where it's led to stories of deconversions, in other words, where people left their faith, most of these stories express a deep resentment toward the church. They may see themselves as having been a part of a group of Christians who 
They, uh, they view the, uh, their political views as detrimental or harmful, harmful and believe that by being part of the church with them, they are complicit in those harmful views. They, they struggle with, do I need to reject this community who don't believe quite as I do? And it leads many to walk away and it destroys their faith. Maybe for them, church didn't let them share their doubts or, or walk through what needed to be dismantled and what needs to be rebuilt with them. I don't know, but... For some, their deconstruction happened because one of their heroes of faith fell and it rocked their core. Someone had had, this person maybe that fell had had previously helped them navigate difficult questions and doubts and maybe through a podcast and it, it can lead to all kinds of questions and doubts when they fall. Who is trustworthy? How can they do those things and still speak truth? We've recently seen this with some major Christian leaders who show us character-wise they're not who they appeared to be. We can't defend their behavior, and we have to help ourselves and others navigate how not to get disillusioned, but to trust in the one hero, the only one person who's really a hero, Jesus, in the midst of a really messy, broken humanity. How do we walk through doubts and deconstruction together. So I was thinking about how there are some kids who grow up and never see their parents argue. They chose, the, the, the parents chose to deal with conflict behind closed doors. And there's a lot of wisdom in not just yelling at your spouse in front of your kids, but for some, when they grow up never seeing that happen, They grow up and they get married and then they all of a sudden start fighting and they go, what's wrong with me? I married the wrong person. This is not pretty. What's going on? See, we could debate about how kids should see you deal with conflict and at what age and what topics, and but they need to see how to resolve conflict in healthy ways. And it just made me think about how we deal with our doubts. If others never see us talk about our doubts... It'll be more confusing and scarier for those who have doubts and and don't know how to navigate them. So the first step that we can take as, as followers of Jesus is to simply encourage an environment where people can share their doubts. But honestly, that can be hard to watch. It's a struggle to sometimes to work with people who are going through doubt and deconstruction because the first thing we want to do is we want to say, well, here's a message I just listened to, and if you listen to the message, everything's going to be fine. Wouldn't it be nice if it was just that easy? But it's really not, is it? So second, we need to realize that often they may not be looking for answers as much as they are looking for someone to talk with and walk with through life, and we just need to be there to listen. And third, don't just ask questions that deconstruct Ask questions that help reconstruct, that help us rebuild. Like, God, how do you want me to know your love and goodness more fully through these doubts and this disillusionment? And God, how, what are you teaching me more about how good and powerful your church is through these difficult circumstances, feelings, or frustrations that I'm experiencing with church? How are you showing me your love and your grace more deeply in this moment? So let's talk about some action steps. Here are some questions to ask yourself and discuss with a friend. I mean, we know doubt is a common human experience. So maybe at lunch today, talk about this question. 
would you be willing to share and name some of your doubts, past or present, and talk about that with others? And maybe ask this question in the midst of that. How can you lean into God with these doubts? And how can you come alongside someone who is having doubts? So in the midst of all the doubts, one thing is rock solid true, that the essence of Christianity is Jesus, a God who knows you and loves you and calls you by name. And to navigate through those doubts and confusion, lean into what millions of people for thousands of years have learned, leaned into, that the way of Jesus, as we, see, as we see in the Bible, keep that dialogue going between you and God. Just keep it going. Um, one of the reasons that we worship with music every week is it's encouraging us to posture, um, to correct our posture, right? Worship helps us lean in. To, to say, God, I remember that even though that I live in a culture that tries to tell me that I'm, at, I'm in charge of my own life, we're saying, I know that you are king. And so to close today, we chose a new song that we've wanted to sing for a while um, because it really helps us to lean in. It builds upon the belief of thousands of years of church history, and though it is a little wordy, okay? So, but that's because it's an attempt to summarize the story of the gospel and the church. It is rooted in firmly in scripture, packed full of theology, and it helps remind us of who we are, our origin and our future with God, that we're reminded of all of that that Jesus has done for us personally, and that we're a part of his story. And it's a story that does not grow weary, it doesn't grow tired, and it never gets irrelevant. So lean in, take your place in the story of stories, and with this king of all kings. Would you stand with me as we pray? Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would continue your work in this moment, that you would come to each and every one of us, especially those of us who have been in deconstruction and doubt and disillusionment. Okay. And Lord, that you would come gently, powerfully, like you came to Thomas, like you came to John the Baptist, like you've come to so many of us other times in our lives. And would you draw us in to your goodness and your love, your patience. So Holy Spirit, we just welcome you in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.